0: Let's turn now to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. 1 Peter chapter 1, 3 through 5. If you're just visiting today, or just back from uh, uh, even just a week away. We're now just second weekend to our series through uh, 1 Peter. And as we turn there, I'm going to ask if you'll stand out of reverence for God's word attentiveness to his voice in it as he speaks with authority as the king. Reading out of the English Standard Version, hear the word of the Lord. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word now as always, and we open it today with expectation. And while we may... From week to week, live very much by routine and habit, and even some Sundays come when we don't feel like coming, when there are any number of reasons we could come up with not to. Lord, even then, when we're just walking by routine, we open your word with the expectation that you have something to say to us in it by your spirit. It is true and living, and active, and powerful, Lord, would you make it so to us today. Speak your word, Lord, by your Spirit, through your servant, to your people, for your glory, and for our good. Lord, move me out of the way, and use my voice as your instrument for the good of your people today, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. seen a couple of uh, short video clips recently, as some of you may have, of uh, people sharing about their struggles adjusting to the the daily grind of life, really particularly younger people who are sort of entering the workplace and that kind of thing, and there's, you know, been some videos that have gone around of that sort, just sharing as many of them are apt to do, uh, sharing what's going on in their life. Uh, just about, everything just about, I guess, on on TikTok, but but sharing their struggles about adjusting to kind of the struggles of the daily grind of adult life. Some stepping into the work world and discovering, this isn't all I imagined it might be, you know? Not all that exciting, certainly isn't easy, and so on and so forth. And One young woman in a a video uh, shared in a a rather humorous way uh, the fact that this discovery that her life suddenly seemed to involve going to work so she could make money to pay bills so that she could continue going to work, right? So like, you know, I, I, I go to work and make money because I have to pay rent so that when I'm finished with work, I can go home, I got somewhere to sleep, So the next morning I can get up and go back to work. And, you know, so that I can buy groceries to keep me alive to work. (laughs) And, uh, you know, and the car payment and the car insurance and the gas. It was this this sort of reflection on her part um, that touched on the really, really common human experience and observation. That for many people at many times, life just seems futile. And it's not only people struggling at uh, kind of the lower end of the, uh, of the income spectrum. Solomon himself in the Bible gives voice to some of that, right? One of the richest men probably ever to live. He had everything. He was not limited. He could, he could buy whatever he wanted. And yet he said, all is vanity and grasping after the wind, right? It's a common human experience to feel that way. But lots of people, there, there aren't a lot of Solomons in the world. <laughs> there are a whole lot of people like this uh, particular young, one, young woman on this video struggling and feeling like that's really just the story. It's a hamster wheel of getting up and struggling one day after another as if to say, surely there's more to life than this. Well, Peter wrote to people who understood the idea of daily struggle uh, of life on this earth. In fact, he wrote to people whose struggle was magnified, multiplied, amplified, whatever words you could come up with to say it was augmented by the fact that they were Christians. Life was a struggle as it was, for most people in the first century, but for those who were Christians, it was, it was even magnified just by virtue of the fact that they were Christian. Peter wrote to them to say, yes, essentially, there is more to life than just the struggle, than just the hamster wheel, and there's more to life than just this life. And therefore, you have reason to be hopeful. And so I want to uh, kind of unpack what he, what he shares in these first few verses of the body of this letter in, in verses 3 through 5 that we just read of three blessings of our new birth. Three blessings of new birth. And we know, by the way, I mean, for those who have been around Christian circles, particularly evangelical Christian circles, the, the new birth, the idea of being born again, that language that's not unique to Peter, um, wasn't isolated to this message. It's not unique, by the way, just to like Billy Graham or evangelical Christians either. It's not like we just made it up. That, that The idea of being born again is fundamental to the Christian life. You remember as we were reading Ephesians, and he opens up with similar words of, uh, of blessing, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Paul said, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, and he enumerates lots of those, and then he goes on to say, you who were dead in your trespasses and sins, he made alive right? So the point being, fundamental to the Christian experience is that we as human beings were spiritually dead and he made us alive. He gave us new life. We're born again. That is fundamental and essential to the Christian experience. And he just presupposes that here or he's speaking to people who understand that and says with that new birth, there are three blessings for us to be reminded of that are a great encouragement to us as we live in a life that is just perpetually filled with struggle and hardship. The first of those blessings I want to draw your attention to is what I've just called divine parentage. Divine parentage. Uh, In the greeting, Last week, you may remember, he reminded us that we are God's people by God's choosing. Do you remember that? That he wrote this to elect exiles of the dispersion. We're God's people. He's God made a people for himself. He's preserved a people for himself. And we are, through Jesus Christ, made part of those people. We're part of that story. God's people by choosing, by God's choosing. Here... He says, essentially, that we're God's children by God's making. Verse 3 says, according to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again. The word caused to be born again, it's one verb actually, and it could be probably more literally translated, He has re-begotten us. You know the word begotten really probably almost only from the Bible. Right, we, we know that word, he begat and begotten, and all, all those. He has re-begotten us. The emphasis, is, in other words, is not just on the new birth itself, but the fact that he caused it. God has re-birthed us, re-begotten us. That, that's the way the King James or New King James Version translates it. If you're reading out of that version right now, you see that. He, he doesn't say rebegotten us. It says he's begotten us again. But it's, it's one of those cases where the, the word is a little hard to put in English in precisely the right way or to choose precisely the right English word because we don't have an English word exactly that's rebegotten. We don't use that. But it points to our, our new birth, but even more strongly to God's power and initiative in rebirthing us. And that's why I say uh, that he, he reminds us of the blessing of a divine parentage that God made us, through new birth, his children. You may have seen uh, in the news this past week that a new king was crowned in Denmark. Uh, you may have not seen that, by the way, also. Like, I know probably odds are... <laughs> most people didn't register that little headline in they you didn't store that memory even if you passed over it probably um and that actually sort of uh, makes a point related to this but the queen of more than 50 years i think abdicated at the uh at the close of the year and her son was crowned king uh, he appeared with his family With his wife on one side his 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 kids around him his firstborn son crown prince christian uh, who's the next successor to the throne and that as i said that the photo itself maybe many of you didn't see it the headline many of you didn't notice it because in lots of ways that is just a very very ordinary piece of international news that has no bearing upon you and so uh, you, you don't. We don't even take notice of it. But on the other hand, uh, those those little tidbits, especially as Americans who have never had a monarch nor ever wanted one, uh, those little tidbits are striking reminders of how much of our how much about our lives is determined by who gave birth to us. King Frederick now was always destined to be king because of who birthed him. His mother, the queen, and because he was the first born, presumably. I actually don't know his whole story, but unless somebody else died in the process, I think that was the case. He's always known he was going to be a king. His son standing beside him, crown prince Christian, is going to be king because he'll make a good king not necessarily don't have any idea what kind of king he'll make, because he's the son of the king. Now, none of us uh, have the story that our life is, our life's path was determined by the fact that we were born to a king or queen. I'm assuming that's true, that none of you is royalty in that sense. All of you who know the King Jesus or royalty in another sense, which is really kind of the bigger point, right? But in other respects, you do know, probably, again, many of you could tell the story in really, really vivid ways of how your life, uh, so much of your life was determined by who your parents were, and that might have been good or that might not have been good at all. That you're, may, maybe some of the struggle you've lived with for a lot of your lives. It was determined by the fact that you were born into it, right? That, you're, that you were born to parents who struggled with um, addictions, maybe to alcohol or drugs, gambling. You may have ha- been born to a father who was uh, ha- had maybe a mental illness that was undiagnosed but was um, erratic and unpredictable, angry, and so on, who made, uh, who made life fearful day by day as you were growing up as a child. And I'm really, I'm really kind of just making stuff up, but the point is, so much of our life, even our struggles, is determined by who gave birth to us. And one of the things that Peter reminds all Christians of is that through Jesus, you've been rebirthed. You've been rebegotten, not just born again, but born as a child of God, you see, that you belong to him. And not only do we have a new life, but a new future. And one aspect of our new future is point number two, uh, that we also have the blessing of, A new hope a living hope that we have as a blessing of our new birth a divine parentage also a living hope it goes on to say not just that we have been born again not just he caused us to be born again but he caused us to be born again to something to a living hope I wrote a little bit about this in the newsletter this week but it's living in the sense perhaps in multiple ways, but in particular that it's real and not empty. It's not a dead hope. There are lots of things that we call hope that are really no hope at all. It's really just wishful thinking. We want to give ourselves something to hope in, but there's nothing really to hope for, no assurance attached to it. Our hope in Eternal life through Jesus is a real living hope. It's not empty or dead. It's not like uh, throwing a coin in the wishing well, rubbing a lucky charm of some sort. It's not like buying that mega millions lottery ticket where you've got a one in 302 million chance of winning. I don't know about you, but that's no real hope. Right, like that. I mean, it's just enough to give. Like, like it's just enough to convince people that it's better than throwing a quarter in a wishing well. But really, a quarter would have saved you a dollar seventy-five. Because you know, my experience has been somebody can say, I, you know, there's, I've I've written this uh, prize number on the back of one of these cards. Pull out a deck of cards. Pick a card. Any card. There is no chance I will pick the right card. How about you? it was a one at one in 52 technically i will not pick the right card the winning card the lottery is like if there was decks of cards stacked floor to ceiling in in the sanctuary wall to wall floor to ceiling and you walk in and somebody said pick a card any card give me two dollars There's no real hope there, but there are all kinds of ways in which people look for things to attach hope to that are just empty, dead, lifeless. We've been giving, given in Christ a living hope and a present hope that, that our perspective on life now in the struggle changes because we have a living hope and not because the circumstances change. You understand that? There are some people who have been told along the way that if they'll uh, accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior, I mean, some of their problems are gonna go away or they come somehow with that expectation. That is fake news, <laughs> right? That is false advertising for sure. But in the present, even when the circumstances don't change our perspective on them does and our hope beyond them does we have a a real hope and it's a present hope and it's because our living hope is because we have a living savior he goes on there to say it's through the resurrection of jesus christ from the dead this is so familiar to us as christians i suppose The resurrection of Jesus is the, the core doctrine of the Christian faith. And so we can really become very unconscious in the way we think about it. But it does us good to remember that the gospel, the good news, was delivered to us by eyewitnesses of a resurrected Jesus Christ. Like people who actually saw him the way we are seeing each other right now. And not only just by people generically, but by one of them who's writing this letter that we're reading. And remember, we we recalled last week, Peter denied Jesus three times. When the the wheels came off of the wagon, so to speak, when when all of that they had been doing and anticipating and all of that, all of a sudden began to fall apart just that one night. Jesus is taken and arrested and put on trial and all that kind of thing. Um, I mean, the, the, the disciples are just like scrambling and Peter just denies him, right? Three times. But then seven weeks later, that same Peter stood in the middle of that same city. Stared down the crowd, as it were, and told them, this Jesus, you crucified and killed him. Preached boldly to the same hostility that caused him to deny Jesus just several weeks earlier. What changed? What changed? Well, one, he had just been filled by the filled with the Holy Spirit, right? Just moments before that. But weeks before that, he had seen and had conversation with that same man, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Not some apparition of Jesus like, you know, like a Star Wars movie or something, you know, the uh, Yoda or Obi-Wan Kenobi or whatever that's like, you know, sort of this, this ghostly apparition of Jesus. You no, know, Jesus Christ of Nazareth in the flesh appeared and talked to him and restored him, the one who had denied him. That Listen, I know you know all that stuff. But the point is, the, this teaching of the resurrection of Jesus is not just handed down by people who, have, who had heard that told as a story. It was written down by people who witnessed it. We have a living hope because we have a living Savior and that report given to us by people who lived and, and talked and interacted with the risen Lord. Our new life grants to us a living hope in addition to Uh, a divine parentage. But then finally, the blessing of our new life is that it gives us a secure inheritance. We are born again, caused to be born again by God to a living hope and then also to an inheritance, a secure one. It says it's an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. It cannot rot or decay, cannot be stained or spoiled so that it's unusable or not presentable. It'll never become less valuable or less beautiful. Now you can't say that about really any earthly thing, right? Any earthly inheritance, and many of you have have probably experienced this firsthand. But the number of stories I've heard of 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 people um, whose loved one dies, uh, I've heard this, you know, of children, adult children, um, talking about you know dealing with the sort of the aftermath of their of their parent dying, and uh, and some stories of literally renting a uh, dumpster and having it out in the yard as, as, as loved ones are just upstairs throwing things out of the window into the dumpster. Perishables. Things that might otherwise, uh, in other words, be inherited. But they have lost value. They have Perished. They are stained. They are not what they used to be and they don't have any value to the people uh, to whom those deceased loved ones might hope they would have value. There's lots of that that happens now. There are more thrift stores that get furniture after someone dies than there are children and heirs, right? Most of what we, or a whole lot of what we would inherit Is perishable or fading that is something that used to be beautiful just ain't so beautiful anymore you know it just it it sort of uh, takes wears with time and loses its luster he has for us an inheritance that cannot perish or spoil or fade in its beauty A real inheritance, albeit a spiritual one, a heavenly one. It's the second thing he says about that inheritance, though. Imperishable, undefiled, unfading, but kept in heaven for us. I was really grabbed by that phrase this week as I was studying this. This inheritance is kept in heaven for us. Reserved, as it says uh, in the American Standard. This word is the one uh, John used, uh, John chapter 2, verse 10, in talking about the, uh, Jesus performing the miracle at the wedding of Cana. The good wine you've kept until now. The good wine set aside, reserved, for that uh, particular time or occasion our inheritance is kept for us in heaven this may this may seem uns- insignificant because some of you would be thinking i'd like a little bit of that now uh, that's what the that's what the prodigal son did right hey i, I want my inheritance now um and so i'm going to go ahead and just spend it wastefully We might think, I mean, if I've got all the riches of heaven, yeah, I could use a little bit of them. Now, just a portion. But it's kept in heaven for us so that it can't be squandered, right? There's nothing we can do to lose it. Not only does it inherently not lose its value or its beauty or so on, but we can't misspend it. There are a lot of stories of that sort, too, as we're talking about families and deaths and wills and inheritance. There are lots of stories of people receiving an inheritance and squandering it. There are, there are lots of stories of, of parents who know their child is going to squander it or waste it, and so they uh, arrange their estate in such a way that that can't happen Or at least they try to prevent that from happening. They might have some kind of trust arrangement or whatever with trustees who will pay that out in a way that sort of protects this reckless child from himself, as it were, from their gambling habit, from their addiction, or whatever the case may be. It's kept for them. And our inheritance, he says here, is kept in heaven for us Protected from, uh, for you, from you. Can't forfeit or squander it, can't gamble it away, can't waste it in any respect. We have a real inheritance, a real hope, a real divine heritage. We, we belong to, so, we, we, our Father is somebody who matters, Matters more than uh, the king, and we receive something better than any earthly throne or crown because of all uh, the blessings we have through his new birth. As I conclude here, I will share this article that I read this, uh, this past week that speaks to how essential it is, beloved, that we know the things that I've just said. And I know that we know them. I, I know that we know that those things are true. But that we really ask God to press that down in our heart, that it, that it means something to me, that it moves me, that I'm impacted by the fact that I've been made part of his family, that I have real hope and a real inheritance can't depreciate and I can't destroy it and it's essential that we live like people who know that there's a story this news article a few years ago of a woman named Kathy Boone who died in January 2020 in a warming shelter in Oregon she'd struggled for years speaking of struggles with mental health issues and drug abuse that had led to her struggle with homelessness for years. Her family had tried earnestly to find her for about a year and a half. They took out newspaper ads, enlisted the help of a private investigator, but no one was able to locate her. She might not have known that anybody really loved her enough to even go to that effort. She may not have believed it deeply enough for that somehow to have changed the direction of her life, but the other thing she didn't know, they were trying to reach her to tell, that, tell her that when her mother died in 2016, she had left Kathy an inheritance of $884,000. And she died homeless in a warming shelter not knowing the riches literally that belonged to her. What a shame it would be for the people of God to live as if we didn't know of the riches that were ours, the blessings that were ours, because he has caused us to be born again to a living hope and to an imperishable inheritance. So let's bow together in prayer. Lord, we praise you and glorify your name, and we thank you, Lord, for the reminders of these things that are true of us and true of what is ours. Lord, we would all readily admit that to whatever degree life on this earth is difficult, that life is a struggle, what is certainly true is that life on this earth just captivates our attention and it gets hold of our affections, Lord, that so much um, of of who we are and how we hope and what we live for is, is just wrapped up in things of this world. It is really difficult for us to get our minds around and to give our hearts to the truth that we have real hope and a real inheritance in you. And so God, I pray that you would, for all of us, really press that down in our hearts in a way that would change the way we think and live. Lord, that you would stir up that hope in us, that we would get at times almost giddy because of who we are because of whose we are and because of what belongs to us as a consequence of those truths. So Lord, even as we conclude our worship today, God, I pray you'd minister that truth to us. I pray you'd draw people to yourselves. I pray, Lord, you would just draw people to a new point of uh, decision and confession before you that our lives would be changed by a better understanding of the blessings that are ours through our new birth. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.